The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Again, welcome everyone. Tonight is week six of our eight-week summer class on the five spiritual faculties, and we're reflecting on Samadhi, the third uh, I'm sorry, the fourth uh, of the faculties, the five faculties. So we have faith or confidence, and this is the confidence that there's something to do with our mind. It's the real alternative to what our mind is sort of conditioned to do, which is to look for pleasant experience. And again, this isn't unwholesome. This is just what our mind is conditioned to do, to look for safety, look for belonging, look for shelter and comfort and and all those things. And the opposite, to look to get away from feeling vulnerable, right? Like feeling not liked and all those things that strike us as being unpleasant. So that's basically what our mind is going to be tuned into, is tuned into. And then... uh, The reason that we make a point of faith, it's this confidence that there's something else we can do. We don't have to stop being interested. We're not going to stop being interested in having more pleasant, safe, comfortable conditions and avoiding the difficult conditions. But on top of that, because what arises for us when we pay attention is that's a limited pursuit however good or fortunate we are in our pursuit of that well-being or happiness based on having nice conditions, we know that it's tenuous and it's never done. So when we stumble upon something else to do with this life, that makes sense. Initially, it's just maybe even on that intellectual level, it just makes sense. This is definitely worth checking out. But that is the initial faith. There's something here to check out, something else that might be really relevant to do with my life. And that leads to the willingness of the mind to apply itself in that direction. How can I check this out to see if this confidence is really something to pursue, something that will pay off, something that will really address the release that the heart intuits is possible, the freedom, freedom from affliction. So the mind applies, it it begins just a simple uh, understanding of cause and effect from our lived experience, like what, because the whole path, spiritual path, it has this integrity where the ends and means align. So if we're, if we intuit that there might be this possibility of being human without my heart being bound up with fear or anxiety or sense of longing or whatever the quality of that being bound up feels like for us, then that intuition of release, my heart not bound up with fear, right? Then that application, that effort we make we realize that, oh yeah, there's some efforts like to strive 
to get it, to get the goal, that has the flavor of being bound up, not the flavor of release. So we learn, like, oh, maybe that's not the way. Because of this integrity where the means, the way we make effort, has to have the flavor of what our heart has faith might be possible. You know, initially it's faith that it might be possible. Then, hopefully, with more experience, the confidence is much stronger. No, no, this is possible. I, I have realized moments of real release, peace, freedom, an out-of-the-box freedom, like a happiness that's not like other happiness. In Buddhism, we call that unconditioned. It wasn't a happiness that arose because the conditions were really nice. It's a happiness that arose because the mind, the way the mind was understanding or relating led to that release. And see, that makes it unconditioned because the mind can, there isn't any moment where the mind can't be relating with that wisdom. And remember I said, I forget who, who I read that said this, but it, it's a nice way to understand the five spiritual faculties. It's really that natural process of a mind going from being inspired, that there's some freedom that the heart can seek that will deliver to that realization of that release or that peace or that understanding. So how does the mind go from inspiration to freedom, to the release, the wisdom release, we say sometimes in Buddhism, or the release that comes from understanding? How does that happen? And the, then the three factors are, well, it's that wise effort around being present and stabilizing that present moment awareness. That is, in a sense, the engine. And when there is that wise effort to be awake, to be intimate, to be present, and it stabilizes, some momentum or some continuity builds, so it becomes, awareness then becomes quite powerful when there's continuity. It really is felt, sensed as an exponential, remember, you know, exponential means that you get a few moments of being present and it feels solid. And then you get, you know, 10, 30 seconds of being present and it's like, it's not a linear function, it's like a lot more powerful. And then if you get some real continuity going where it's persisting through the day or persisting for hours, that it's like uh, the stability, the, the example uh, Joseph Goldstein, one of my teachers uses, is you know normally our mind is like a, a really smooth, well-rounded, but upside down bowl. And our practice is you put a marble on this perfectly round bowl that's upside down, and you, you try really hard to get it right there in the middle of the bowl, but it immediately rolls off under the table in some corner. You eventually find the marble and you carefully place it right down, but it immediately rolls off. And when this um, integrity from the wise effort and the understanding of what it means to be present so that it, the continuity of mindful awareness, present moment awareness can build some momentum, 
then it's like flipping the bowl. Still, things will arise that will trigger reactivity, but now the marble, it rolls within the bowl, and its natural, effortless tendencies to come back to center, come back to, oh yeah, it's just this being now. And you'll sense that, that there's a felt sense of that flip from a mind that basically sliding into distraction, you bring it back and it slides into distraction, right? This is often for a long time in our practice, common in our sits and in our daily life practice, where we do have the inclination to come back to the present moment. And to whatever degree we sustain that present moment awareness, we'll just notice the slide into distraction as opposed to finding ourselves distracted where we didn't even see that movement. You know, with some practice, we start to notice the bait and notice the mind grabbing the bait and getting lost in distraction as opposed to a very quick moment of awareness, present moment awareness, and then 15 minutes later realizing, oh, I've been lost in thought for 15 minutes, you know, and then stabilizing and cultivating the right intention and having a moment or two being present and then 10 minutes later realizing, oh, I lost, I don't know how, but I did lose it. You know, I lost the thread of present moment awareness, but now I realize that I lost the thread of present moment awareness. So there's all the way along, like initially, we're just tasting that ephemeral moment of being present. And mostly what we're noticing and that when it, where we're just having a moment or a couple moments of being present, is we're noticing the residual tension squeeze from not having been present, right? So it's a little bit like, and then there's a moment of presence, and in that moment, which, you know, just literally a couple seconds, there's a sense of what was bound up. There's, I mean, it still hurts because it's bound up, but there's just a, not adding to the tension and a beginning of relaxation of that inner tension, that inner grip, that inner squeeze before the mind loses it again. But when it flips, then there's a more pervasive embodied sense. So it's not just, you know, it's really a felt sense. Sometimes I like to use the word held, H-E-L-D, for samadhi, the beginning of samadhi, because there is a sense of confidence in the present moment, and, and, and a, not, a sense, a felt sense of not needing the mind, heart, and body even, not needing to go anywhere, not needing things to be different. So that's why more and more, you know, we either don't translate the word samadhi, or we don't use the common translation of concentration, but we'll use the word stability, steadiness, unification, a gathered mind, a non-fragmented mind, right, to help create a sense of that, a felt sense of what that is. And so that's really the transition, you know, tonight we're really looking at, well, what is the natural transition from effort to sati, awareness, present moment awareness, mindfulness, to samadhi, 
the stability, right? And it's a natural process, right? And uh, a lot of the effort we make initially is just understanding what qualities of mind have that flavor or in the direction of awareness and the stability of awareness and what qualities of mind aren't. And starving the ones, not identifying or strengthening the qualities of mind that aren't helpful and keeping in mind and strengthening the qualities of mind that are helpful. And so, you know, because there are a lot of things the mind can do in any moment, but not all, all of them or many of them are going to be conducive to this intention to recognize awareness and to keep recognizing present moment awareness. We're keeping the present moment in mind. It's a practice of not forgetting. And then part of that not forgetting is seeing that movement from wise effort to sati, mindfulness, to samadhi, that stability of awareness, and really uh, trusting that subtle pleasure of fullness, being held in the confidence, like almost like the heart belongs right in the middle of this moment. Does it need a different moment to belong, to be present? And there's a sense of completeness, like, like when I say not needing the moment to be different, that's, in a sense, the pleasure, we, the subtle pleasure we begin to feel is the absence of that deeply embedded tendency to think there's somebody who needs something needs to get rid of something, needs to have more of something. There's a, in our normal psychological uh, dynamic in our mind-heart, right, there's a, I mean, you could, that sort of fundamental characteristic of our mind or the activity of our mind is restlessness, right? And then the restlessness has different qualities, like it's a restlessness around, you know, that is... uh, animated by greed, or it's a restlessness that's animated by fear, or aversion, or hate, or something. But it, but its underlying nature is just being uneasy, or restless, not settled, not stable, not solid, or held. So that's why it has a different sense, a different felt sense, samadhi. Because it's the the normal, pervasive, almost always there restlessness is less there. And that's felt. And you even when when you have a so-called good sit, you know, there'll be a sense of not wanting to move. (laughs) One of the things like in uh, Zen retreats, they're called sashins, you know, you'll sit and then you have a short walking period, you know, ring the bell, everyone gets up and walks. Like, because a lot of the way that we practice in insight meditation, if you want to continue sitting, you do. You know, it's okay to sit during a walking period, generally on retreats. But in some styles of practice, they want you to walk because they want people to see the attachment to not, oh, this is, you know, samadhi, I like this. I don't want to move. And there can be this sort of 
preciousness around the wholesomeness, the pleasure of samadhi. And, you know, I'll talk about that maybe a little later if we have time. The sort of uh, shadow of samadhi, that, which is just, you know, the unavoidable identification with the spiritual goodies. As I don't know if all of you read the article that uh, is in our resources called Got Attitude that Steve Armstrong wrote. So you can check it out. It's in the email. And he has, you know, he's talking about the five spiritual faculties. So he has a little paragraph or two on samadhi and concentration. And he talks about the, the shadow of the spiritual goodies, you know, where when that samadhi gets strong, it's quite natural for the mind to think, this is it. You know, whatever nibbana, nirvana is, whatever freedom is, this is it. And the reason the mind has so much confidence that this is it is because it feels really nice. And it, it, in a sense, it isn't it, in the sense of the mind is experiencing something that it hasn't experienced before, or hasn't experienced often, or hasn't experienced as deeply. That inner peace, that inner well-being that comes. I mean, in a way, samadhi is technically defined as the absence of those qualities of mind that hinder or fragment or interrupt the wholeness or the fullness of the mind. So when there isn't any mental activity that's dividing the mind, then the mind appears undivided. You know, and the the mind is always sort of uh, in a push-pull. I could do that. And then, you know, it's like we think something and then we scold ourselves for thinking that and then we think it again. You know, there's always this sort of I could do this, I could do that. There's this uneven, divided, restless, one thought evokes a couple more thoughts, those thoughts evoke more thoughts, and it has a never-ending quality to it, right? And so when that dissipates because of the supporting causes for samadhi, which is the continuity of present moment awareness, and remember, when we're present, when we have present moment awareness, that moment, those moments of present moment awareness, it doesn't depend on that cognitive part of the mind defining what's happening. We, on that level, that so-called intellectual level, we don't need to know what we're doing. That's why a child can have awareness and even continuity of awareness. That doesn't mean they know what they're doing in terms of the practice, but they can stumble, children stumble upon these, and, and, and probably mammals, you know, other animals can have some kind of samadhi experience where the mind is undivided by greed, hatred, and delusion, by the forces that, um, that lead to and are restless. You see that sometimes, you know, just that natural samadhi when you see a wild animal. Initially, there's some heightened, like, are you a threat? You know, have you had that experience, like, with the deer? 
And then they'll look at you and being a Buddhist, you, you do your metta thing, you know, like that inward sense like, in no way do I want to cause you harm. Right? And, uh, and, then, and then all of a sudden, it's like that heightened attention, it's like, oh, that, the stress of that heightened attention, should I bolt or not? You know, the sort of, I'm not going to bolt. And, and you just get the sense of, like, that mind, you know, we don't really know, I don't really know, but that mind's not bothering with anything extra. And that's the same with our mind, right? When we have a continuity of awareness, that if, if there's enough sustained continuity, then it will become apparent to our mind what it feels like when it's undivided. And then being aware of that wholesome inner feeling, of that pleasurable feeling, then actually helps really strengthen the momentum, builds the momentum. Oh yeah, this is a trustworthy pleasure. Some of you know this very famous story the Buddha told while he was a teacher, but it recounts a time when he was a young child and also a time when he was, I guess you could say, frustrated with his practice because he had been doing a lot of ascetic practices, fasting and breath control stuff, and, excuse me, and other kinds of, because it was, I think still to some degree, but back then evidently a big deal to, for these wandering spiritual types to do these, some of them quite strange, ascetic practices. Um, and the Buddha you know, not to be outdone, did them too, to the nth degree, evidently, at least as it's recorded in, in the tradition. And then he had a kind of vision of himself as a you know five-year-old child, pretty young, where he stumbled into a natural samadhi, the first jhana, I think it was called, where greed, hatred, and delusion are not active in the mind. They're not uprooted from the mind. They're still there as a latent, tendency, but not actively dividing, disturbing the mind. And so here's the Buddha, having done a lot of ascetic practice, practices, pretty emaciated, not very healthy, having some doubt about whether the way he's been practicing is leading anywhere wholesome. And then he has this remembering, and then the wisdom in his mind wonders, could that pleasure that I experienced be sort of a necessary, wholesome ingredient to the way forward? And then wisdom answered its own question. Yeah, yeah, this is wholesome. You don't need to be afraid. Because what, you know, what ascetics really understand correctly is the limitations of sense experience. But what they wrongly conclude well, if sense experience can't deliver lasting happiness, then I'm going to reject sense experience. So I'm not going to eat any more than I need to eat. And I'm not going to, you know, indulge in anything because the world of sense experience is bad. That's, and the Buddha rejects this. Like, no, that, that's, that's taking renunciation too far. It's not the sense experience itself that we're renouncing. 
it's the identification, it's the personalizing sense experience that's the problem. It's subtle, but it's a really important difference. And there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding when people study the Buddhist teachings about this point. Because like even the basic form of sitting meditation, it can seem like we're saying, you know, screw life, screw sense experience, I'm just going to sit there for an hour a day. And then I'm going to go on a retreat once a year and I'm going to sit there a lot of the day, you know, and uh, prove to all of you other more deluded types that I don't need sense experience. But it, we're, you know, it's just a misunderstanding because obviously if you've, anybody has ever sat, it's very much a sense experience. We feel so much. It's like all the emotions that we're usually distracted and can't feel show up. And all the sensations, I mean, there's nothing like feeling your body as twisted steel or all the yucky qualities that can show up. And, and also the sublime, beautiful qualities that can show up in our sitting practice. So it's definitely a sense experience, but we're simplifying things so we can distill like, oh, this is an identification an attachment to my likes and dislikes. That's really important to see. So anyway, the Buddha shifted and he really understood, you know, in terms of his own practice, the importance of balance, not being afraid of embodiment, of being, you know, having a body and living in a balanced way, respecting the need for health, <clears throat> And um, because one of the things we'll notice, it's, it's so, uh, it's why we practice loving-kindness practice too. Because uh, like we might feel like we have a lot of concentration, but there's a kind of uh, brittleness to our concentration, to the stillness in the mind. And then <clears throat> if we're lucky, we'll just bump into, like whether we're formally sitting or just kind of going about our day into something that's pleasurable but doesn't trigger a lot of greed. Like we see something wholesome, a bunny chewing on some grass in the backyard or something like that. And the heart just like feels, opens up a little bit. And that opening brings some pleasure to the mind. And that was the missing ingredient and then the samadhi just drops in. It was like, that was the only ingredient the, that the mind needed to drop into a deeper samadhi. Just a little bit of sense, wholesome sense pleasure, because the mind was sort of uh, like keeping a little distance. Because samadhi isn't, uh, isn't a distance, it's an intimacy. Because as long as there's distance, there's aversion, like afraid of contamination. If I'm really feeling, if I'm really awake, if I'm really here, then I must be dis I'm going to be disturbed. And we have all kinds of skillful means. That's the same thing with the exclusive meditation object, where initially we'll use something very specific, like feeling the touching at the nostrils. And because we can be with, we can be intimate, we can relearn that it's safe to be intimate with sense experience. 
but I'm relearning it because I'm really limiting the sense experience that I'm aware of to just feeling the touching at my nostrils. But then, you know, we generally, after we tune into the pleasure of that seclusion, and we really trust the experience of samadhi, then we can, we can, the samadhi will allow it to be more inclusive. We won't be as dependent on the exclusive meditation object. It can be the awareness and the samadhi can continue with its sensitivity to, to any of the sense gates, not just that particular physical sensation of breathing in and out, but hearing, thinking, smelling, tasting, other touches in the body. So for our small groups tonight, and then just even more importantly for our homework the next few weeks, because once we understand samadhi, then we're also understanding how it's like whatever the mind isn't seeing clearly, whatever mysteries remain mysterious to our mind, samadhi causes the illumination of whatever remains you know, not understood, not seen. So it isn't like we have to personally try to figure out the mysteries. What does the Buddha mean by not self? <laughs> it isn't something we figure out. It's something that's revealed when a mind has that stability of awareness. Because it's just the nature of things. It's not a, something that somebody figures out. So uh, what we want to, uh, like for homework and even in chair, just sort of in hindsight, scanning through all of our sets that we've had and all of our daily life experiences that we've had, what experiences have we had of that kind of seclusion, that kind of unification where the mind, the heart, felt withdrawn, not from the world. See, that's the, we think of seclusion as being withdrawn from the world, but it's really the world of greed, hatred, and delusion that it has distance from. It's the dividing qualities of the mind not being there that makes the mind have samadhi. So when have you had that experience where your mind was operating, whether it was in a formal sitting time or just time with interacting with other people or walking through the woods or whatever it was. Because there's really two things. It's, it's the mind that in, that in those moments is not affected, not colored, let's say, by greed and all of its different manifestations, aversion and all of its different manifestations manifestations like fear and delusion and distractedness and denial, right? So when the mind, so when have we 
had that experience and then recognize the uniqueness of that experience, right? So we need to be aware that the mind is not divided, right? Because we want, the whole point of samadhi is to recognize, oh, this is onward leading. Somebody, I think, sent an email asking, what do you mean by onward leading? And it's something we say in the Buddhist tradition, and this is a good time to explain it, like when we recognize samadhi, we realize this is wholesome or healing or pleasurable here and now, and, and here's the important thing, and it's onward leading. Like there's a sense that not just to indulge in the wholesome pleasure of samadhi, but it has actually a a so-called higher purpose. We want to recognize, because it's easy not to recognize it, like just in a sense to indulge in it, because it's pleasurable and healing on that just basic psychological, emotional level. It's very healing. But there's this higher purpose, which is uh, to see things as they are. Because the mind, the uh, effect of samadhi is the mind is profoundly content. So then that's a mind that doesn't have an agenda because it's profoundly content. And a mind that doesn't have an agenda or expectations, that's a mind that sees clearly. We don't realize that our agendas, our expectations, our conditioned habits distorts how we understand experience. So we're not getting to spot That's why uh, I read that or shared, paraphrased that piece from Stephen Armstrong's article, Got Attitude, because when the samadhi is deeper, there's an old adage, you know, nothing ruins a retreat like one good sit. Because we feel like the after effect is, oh, that's it. I just got to keep doing that, having that good sit. And then, of course, already greed is involved, and a sense of a self who needs something, and when I get that something, I'm going to be better, or better protected, or whatever we might think. And that's, you know, on the road to damnation, (laughs) right? And frustration, and a sense of betrayal, like, I thought I had it. That, was that real? Let me start to doubt ourselves. Was that experience I had in that sit real? Or did I just make that up? Because my mind is a mess now. Because we've been practicing greed, wanting that nice state of mind back. So it's really important to sense the onward leading because then we understand the point of the samadhi isn't to take it personally, and to indulge in what we take is a, a personal accomplishment. But to realize that this mind, because it's so settled and content, because it doesn't have an agenda, its way of observing or its way of being sensitive is very clear, clear seeing. So the truth of impermanence, the truth of the cause, of dukkha, suffering, like getting attached, it just becomes so obvious. Nothing reveals the truth of things like being really peaceful. Because when there's a lot of peace, 
then anything that has the flavor of disturbance really stands out. Any self-centeredness, because self, it's the self-view, the self-centeredness that then leads to the, it activates the forces of greed and aversion. That's sort of the active expression of self-view. There's no greed and aversion without self-view, self-centered view. Greed only arises from a self-perspective, being apart. Hate, aversion, fear only arises from a sense of being separate and apart. So we'll talk more about samadhi and how samadhi, but you get the sense just from what I've said, how it just naturally supports the deepening of wisdom and the deepening sense of freedom, like what freedom is, how it arises. So we'll leave it here. We'll get ready. And again, so for the small groups, you know, just uh, some reflection on where have you tasted that mind free of greed, hatred, and delusion? What did you sense at the time supported its arising? What supported it going away? You know, how did you ruin it or lose it? What did the mind, what arose in the mind, what qualities kept the mind from finding it again or getting back to that way of being? And also the kind of doubt, you know, I mentioned betrayal, but just talking in your small groups or just reflecting at home on your own about your own doubt about samadhi. Like, yeah, maybe some people get this, these beautiful, wholesome states of mind, but I've got a broken mind, you know? I've got a raw deal when the Buddha or God or whatever nature was delivering minds, you know, and it's not fair, but I guess it's the way it is. Or I'll do it later, you know, some putting it off. I'll get interested in it later. I do believe in it, but not now. Or it's like we're just really gung-ho, thinking that willpower or just blunt effort is going to get me there, or just whatever, because you probably have had a number of different kinds of attitudes about samadhi. It's generally, for most of us, triggering, because it, it's sort of, you know, like using that term again, spiritual goody, you know, kind of, it's the glittery object that Buddhists want. Because it's, it's like real proof that but what the Buddha was talking about, that there's, it delivers, right? It's like, this mind state is out of the box. This is not my normal mind state, and it's good. And I want more of it, right? And it, and it makes, because it has a sense of power, it also really, whatever ego is operating in those moments and afterward, it really inflates the ego. It's like, I don't think anybody in this room has had this kind of samadhi that I've had. You know, because it feels so special. So we, the mind, it just, the, those tendencies, you know, already to, to have great doubt and to have great self-inflation, they just get, they just get activated by our relationship to samadhi. So that would be a really good, useful thing to normalize in your small group conversations. And remember to treat these groups as a... 
This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.